This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Hello, and welcome to Flourish with me, Tiffany Boyd. This is a podcast where we explore what it means to live with intention. I'm a mom to three beautiful boys, a wife, a friend, an entrepreneur, and so many other things. When my dad passed, I made a commitment to myself to live with intention. For years afterwards, I struggled with discovering what that meant. I felt uncomfortable giving myself permission or even figuring out how to honor that. What I do know and believe is that where attention goes, energy flows. This show will explore what it means to live with intention, seek to inspire you, and bring practical tools through stories and interviews that you can use to change your own life. Thank you for joining me and this wonderful community of women as we raise our vibration, honor ourselves, and live intentionally. here on the Flourish podcast. Today's episode features a great old friend of mine, Surabi Veach, and I just want to let you know that the internet was acting up during this episode, so there's a few portions where it gets a bit glitchy, but the conversation was so good, so heart and so soul-fulfilling that it is absolutely worth hanging on and listening all the way through. We had a hard time stopping. We're both very passionate about all of these topics. So please, um, please accept my apology for the tech and audio issues. There was just nothing we could do. We, uh, we were zooming with our videos off, trying to get it to work. So you'll notice it's a fat, it's patchy in a few places, but overall, the content is is worth the listen, and most of it's pretty good. And before we dive in, I would like to let everybody know about the newly redesigned Flourishing You mentorship program. Some of the feedback we've heard from people is that you love the one-on-one, but you want a little bit of group. A lot of people are seeking more accountability, and one of the biggest things we've noticed with the mentorship is that people need more time to make the real behavior and lifestyle changes to lead to lasting change in themselves and their businesses. So given all of that, we have reworked the program. We are getting rid of the prior two streams, which was the group and the one-on-one, and we're actually amalgamating them. So there's just one program now. You will continue to receive one-on-one coaching and support from myself. You will have a, um, a very dedicated accountability coach as well that you'll be checking in on. There will be group work, specific expert guests coming and providing um, lessons and sessions on specific topics. There will be group sessions with myself and group coaching. And here's the best part. We are extending the program to five months. So you'll be with a cohort of women working on your own stuff, getting a one-on-one support, creating connections, doing group work, and moving through all of it 
together. The next intake starts now with the program commencing at the beginning of January. So if you're interested in learning more, reach out directly to me at uh, flourishinglately at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and we'll set up a 15-minute discovery call to see if it's a good fit and to learn more about each other. Again, thanks for being here. Enjoy this episode with Surabi. You are going to love it. Chat soon. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Flourish podcast, where we talk about what it means to live with intention. And I'm very excited today to have a very important and special guest on the show. Surabi Veach is a physiotherapist, a pregnancy and postpartum fitness coach a mom of two, and an owner of The Passionate Physio. As a long-term lover of movement, Surabi is, a passionate, is passionate about helping moms trust and gain confidence in their postpartum bodies while navigating common symptoms like pain, leaks, abdominal separation, or pelvic organ prolapse. She offers one-on-one online coaching services and runs her signature small group postpartum return to exercise program, also known as PrEP, for new moms. She believes in joyful movement, letting go of perfectionism and leading with self-kindness and courage. And so before we dive in and before I give the microphone over to uh, Surabi, what I want to say is that, um, and to let you know, is that Surabi and I have known each other and met each other at university in our undergrad education. And we were on a varsity ski team together. And she is one of the most magnetic people that I have ever met. And she is full of joy and I adore her. And I've been following her career uh, through Instagram and just thrilled and cheering her on and watching all this amazing work that she's been doing. And something that I am incredibly ashamed to admit, but want to, because it's such an important topic, is that as we were setting up this podcast to connect and share the, the amazing work that she does with you guys, one of the things that I learned is that I have been mispronouncing Surabi's name and I just did it again and I'm going to own it because I'm going to work on it until I get it perfect because everybody deserves to have their name pronounced properly and we all need to own that responsibility of, um, of learning and taking the time and owning that personally And so in setting this up, um, and I'm just going to keep saying it and you just jump in here and correct me. (laughs) I like the like breathy, uh, it almost sounds like French. So it's Surabi. So I usually say Sue for like soup for run, but instead of a harsh R, it's a soft R but not rolled. Yeah. Uh, I know not, you know, not everybody can do the soft R depending on what your innate or your like languages, but, um, so Sura rough for run rub that kind of a sound and then B for like a happy B, a buzzing B. So yeah. Sura B. Sura B. And I, I think Sura I do, I think I round it because I did take French and I do have yes. a cold right now. So my, a lot of my French, um, French speaking friends, they'll say Surabi, like with the French accent, but you know what? That's still right. Because it's, it's just with a French accent where it becomes wrong is, you know, how you probably knew me as during undergrad is names like Surabi or, um, Sarabi, like, like an, ah, sound or ah, sound instead of a Surabi. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so thank you for acknowledging that. Um, and it's something that 
when I moved to Canada, I was 10 and I uh, grew up in India. And when I moved here, people were literally butchering my name left, right, and center. Like nobody could pronounce it. Even the anglicized version people couldn't pronounce. Mm -hmm. So I just was like, I'm sick of the attention. I'm sick of drawing attention to the fact that a, I'm an immigrant or that I'm different or that my name is different. So I just let people call me whatever name. And for the longest time, it just stuck. And through undergrad, same thing, you know, professors would like laugh awkwardly at my name. And like this stuff happens because it's so ingrained in our culture to kind of assimilate and fit in. And if you're, if you're already different because you either are an immigrant or you're, you know, you just look different than let's say everybody else in the room, there's this extra pressure to want to just be accepted. And as I've grown up and matured more, and now I have my kids, I don't want my kids to see that. I don't want them to see me playing small. I want them to see me being me. And if people are calling me by the wrong name, it's like, they don't know the full me. They're not seeing me for who I actually am. So I encourage like anyone who has ever met anyone with a different name that they're not familiar with, make, take that attention to learn it, ask and ask again. I always, always appreciate when people try and they ask and they really try. It's when people don't make the effort to try, or they're asking for, you know, do you have a short form? Do you have a team? Because then it makes it about them instead of about the person. Um, and, you know, Tiffany, and we, we talked about this a little bit too, is like the same way Tiffany is Tiffany and not Tiffany, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of sounds ridiculous, but it's the exact same thing. It's Surabi and not Surabi. And to me, it's like, you forget that, you know, undergrad was, we're dating ourselves here, but how many years ago was that? I would say I, a long time ago, <laughs> we long to like 15, 16 years ago, right? Yeah. It's like, it's been a while. Yeah. And you think about, I always, I often look back at like myself during undergrad and I think, oh, back then I'm sure I thought it was mature, but you really realize how much maturity maturing happens every single day. Like, every day we learn and we grow more about ourselves and we step into ourselves. And I think it's a combination of both being a person of color, being a woman too. It's like, we're encouraged to not take up space and blend in, fit in and just be people pleasers. And so as I've really kind of grown into myself and just become better at accepting my whole self, I've realized the importance of owning who you are, you know, starting with your name, starting with your cultural heritage, starting with everything, everything about you, um, your likes, your dislikes, and just kind of owning that. So that is, you know, so that's where we have our, our, um, our cameras off because the internet's so slow, but, um, <laughs> I, I have, I'm actually crying a little bit because this is so basic and yet it is so profound. The fact that, part of what we need to do is to grow into that is, is a reality for so many, but it's also unfortunate that that is the reality. And it's just a, you know, it's a poignant reminder to me and anybody listening, how we all take accountability for this, regardless of where you sit or what your privilege is, that this is something that we all own responsibility for, for everybody. And I think the way that you described your, your growth and your journey is also very profound because regardless of, of where you sit or where you come, that, that acceptance and that sense of self-worth 
I think predicts so much of our own success and our own experience and the, the value, the vitality and how alive we are in life. And it is so clear to me how much you have stepped into your worthiness and how much you're owning it. And I just think that is such a gift to demonstrate not only to your children, but to your clients and to the world. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm unbelievably amazed by you. So, um, I can feel it. Now I'm tearing up. (laughs) It's, uh, no, uh, yeah. Like I knew you 16 years ago and I was a different version of me that you were a different version of you, but Mm -hmm. the way you have grown is just so beautiful. And yes, um, I, it's, it's amazing to see, and it just makes me so happy and proud isn't quite the right word, but, um, yeah, it's amazing. So tell us a little bit about what you do and your story and how you got into it, um, as a postpartum, uh, physiotherapist and and pregnancy fitness coach. So I have always been interested in helping people and, um, in healthcare in general, you know, when I was a kid, this is actually pretty funny. When I was a kid, I was like, it'd be cool to be a life coach, kind of help people like figure out what they want to do and like how they want to be. And then back then I was like, oh, that's a made up job. That's not a thing. And so it's just ironic now because a lot of what I do is coaching and it's not just in terms of theotherapy or in- it is, it is life coaching because I show people after they've had a baby, how to incorporate movement, how to incorporate self-care into their lives. It's not just which exercises to do, but how to actually go about doing this when you're so busy and you're so drained, taking care of your little ones, taking care of yourself just seems like a whole nother, you know, it's, it's like the last on your priority list. So I've always been interested in, in that type of kind of helping people live their best act lives. Uh, I've done a variety of sports in my life, a lot of endurance sports, you know, running cross country skiing, which is how we met swimming. Um, and then I rock climb too. like, I started climbing in my twenties. That's actually how I met my husband. We, we both met, um, through rock climbing and throughout the, you know, throughout it all, I find that I went to physiotherapy school after I did my undergraduate degree. And my goal was to help people in with neurological conditions with spinal cord injuries. Um, that was what I envisioned myself doing. But then once I actually got into physio school, I started to gravitate towards orthopedic injuries because that's what I was familiar with myself, ankle sprains, knee injuries, back pain, neck pain, shoulders, all of the joints in our body, muscles, joints, nerves. And so I started working in sports medicine and orthopedics for about 10 years. I went and did my, you know, I did an advanced degree in orthopedics so I could manipulate joints, crack joints, uh, and all of that. But my strengths as a physiotherapist come down to my communication, my ability to educate somebody and empower them so that they understand what's going on in their body without having the fear attached to it. There's a lot of fear inducing language in healthcare. Like, Ooh, if you don't come see me, like you're going to end up here. And I hate doing that to people. I think it's unfair. I really think it's important for people to understand the value and let them choose for themselves when they're ready. Um, and it wasn't until I became a mom myself three and a half years ago that I really saw the gap in postpartum health because as a physio, I thought I knew everything about the body. And, uh, and then I had a baby and I had a diastasis recti, which is abdominal separation, which we know is a normal part of pregnancy and can persist postpartum for many people. I also had a pelvic organ prolapse, which I thought 
I'd never even heard of that term, to be honest. I was like, what is this? Um, I was leaking when I was, you know, going on walks or coughing and all of these things that I wasn't anticipating because I was somebody who was relatively active, relatively fit. You know, I was an athlete. People would tell me, oh, you'll bounce right back, you know? And so I didn't know any different. And I, I thought it, that I would. And physically, I looked like the same you know, postpartum, I was fitting into the same clothes. So people were, were asking me for advice on how did you bounce back? But I felt like an imposter because internally I was dealing with leak prolapse. I was dealing with diastasis, but externally people, all people care about is how you look. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw this huge disconnect between how you look and how you feel. For me, it's more important how I feel in my body, not how flat my abs appear. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but society sells us this message that culture sends, sells us this message that as women, you know, your appearance is what's most important, how flat your abs are after you have a baby somehow defines your worthiness. And a lot of, a lot of that is just kind of wrong. It's, it's just stuff we've been conditioned to believe. And even, even as kind of empowered women, we still sometimes fall into that line of thinking because we've been conditioned to since we were little is to care very deeply about what we look like, what we, and especially as moms, you know, Oh, are we not attractive anymore? If we don't look the same as we did before we had kids. Um, so a lot of those conversations about body image, self-worth, and then also tying that together with, you know, how confident you feel moving your body when you're walking down the street and you're leaking, you don't feel like, you know, a young or healthy person, you feel old. Um, and that's a big, you know, point of shame with that a lot of women suffer with, but they don't talk about it. It's kind of, they kind of laugh it off. Like, haha, I just cross my legs when I sneeze and they kind of laugh it off. But when you actually talk one-on-one -on -one with people, there's a lot of shame. Nobody wants to smell like urine. Nobody wants to be wearing pads. Nobody wants to be changing their underwear. I have clients who change their underwear five times a day. Um, and these are the kinds of things that I help people with is really life-changing stuff that improves their quality of life. Um, and so I've switched my career focus. It's, I still do physiotherapy, but I've switched the focus to more pregnancy, postpartum mothers who've had kids I have 10 years ago, anybody who's in that kind of realm, who wants to strengthen their core, their pelvic floor, their full body, manage injuries, um, and learn how to fit in strategies on how to fit in exercise, uh, and self-care into their lives. Um, now that they're so much, so much busier than they were before. Amazing. Uh, there is so much to unpack in what you just said, and I've just written down a number of questions. I'm so excited to get into this with you. Uh, that notion of shame, I think, is massive. And I also think that even this term of bounce back, the goal, like mm -hmm. that, it's just a loaded phrase. And if that's the goal, the reality is when you give birth to a baby and you bring a life into this world, your entire reality, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, is shifting your priorities are shifting. There's no bouncing back, but it's about how do we embrace the journey and love that experience, including ourselves, and honor ourselves for, for what we're doing in terms of actually growing and bringing a human into the world. And it hurts me deeply to think that we have a society that wants to diminish all of that with the goal of instantly recovering a body image. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, <clears throat> I do think shame is a huge part of it. 
And one of the things I've observed with a lot of women is, yes, they'll laugh it off. They'll, you know, make a joke about it, but it's incredibly life altering. They'll stop showing up in different ways and their life becomes very (laughs) restricted because of it. But the other thing I've noticed is that sometimes there is comfort to talk about it among women, but what do you think the role of education and men is in all of this? Because it seems like Mm. not only are we hiding it from ourselves as women, but what is the role of men? Because we don't seem to talk as openly in this dialogue around men. Um, And I'm just curious if you have a perspective around that. I mean, I think ultimately the more that men know about women's health, the better. Like I, I have a boy and a girl and my, my daughter's older. So, you know, in just because she is the older one, when I had my son, she was helping me get the pad out of my, you know, my bathroom cabinet postpartum. She knew about postpartum bleeding. If it was my son first, I would have hopefully done the exact same with him. I want both my kids to know about periods and how normal they are. I want both my kids to know about pregnancy and the normal changes that happen because a lot of the men, like our partners, our spouses, they may not have been raised in that same environment where open conversations happen in their own home because a lot of this stuff is stigmatized, which is why men even struggle to talk about things like periods or go to the, you know, go to the uh, pharmacy and grab a pack of tampons. It's just for them, it's embarrassing when it really shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. So with postpartum stuff, women are not telling their probably normal, you know, it's not an uncommon thing. And what happens is either your bladder or your rectum or your uterus basically kind of pushes down into your vaginal floor. And so you may feel a bulge. You may see a bulge when you look down there. And these are things that people that really affect body image that really affect shame with intimacy, um, really affects just self-confidence and people are not comfortable talking to their partners about this because they're not, they haven't processed it for themselves yet. And I think that when you yourself are uncomfortable in your body, it's difficult for you to be comfortable with a partner, even if it's your, you know, even if it's your long-term spouse. And so one of the things that I really encourage is for people to process this, if they're struggling is therapy or counseling, because there's a huge mental health component with any of these big changes in your body, uh, whether it's due to your physical body image, or it might not even be body image related, but just like you feel like a totally different person when you have something bulging into your vagina. And as somebody who's experienced that, and I remember the mindset that I felt that I had when I experienced it for the first time, it was devastating. There's a huge incidence of postpartum depression and anxiety in people who've experienced these conditions as well. And that's something else that's not really talked about, you know, at your six weeks postpartum visit, it's all right. Stitches have healed. If you have stitches or if you have scars, the things looked healed, go back to exercise and sex. Like that is so detrimental to people because for those who are ready, great. But for the majority of people who aren't, it's basically telling them that, oh, but you should be ready. You're at six weeks, which is like this arbitrary number, of course. And most people are not ready for sex at six weeks. Most people are not ready for what they think is exercise you know, what they may consider going for a 5k run as exercise. Maybe they consider a half hour yoga or boot camp as exercise, and maybe they're not ready for that. Mm -hmm. So what happens is people try it 
they fail and then they stop. Like you said, people withdraw from activities that they were doing before because of symptoms, um, because of leaks. I have moms who won't jump on the trampoline with their kids. You know, they're sitting on the sidelines while their kids are having fun where, well, maybe if they have a partner, their dad is involved with active play, physical play, but the moms are kind of sitting back and watching it all happen. Um, and for me, like I'm, I'm, I am an active person and I'm a fun person. I think I'm the more fun one in in my relationship (laughs) with my husband. I'll say that openly. (laughs) You believe it, right? Yeah. And so I was like, I don't, I I don't want my kids thinking I'm just some like boring person who sits on a bench, watches them play. Like I want to have fun with them. Mm -hmm. And so selfishly, I was like, I don't deserve this. And then this was again, before I did all my training in pregnancy and postpartum, I was, I was still a physiotherapist and I still knew a lot about the body, but I didn't know much about pelvic health. And so after I had my daughter, I really dug in and found out more and more and learned, took courses, took certifications. And then I also became a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach because anyone who's had a baby is postpartum. Even if you've had a baby 30 years ago, you're postpartum, your body has changed in a way that it wouldn't have changed if you never ever had that baby. And so these are things that I was seeing in my clinic like years ago, I'd see 40, 50 year olds coming in with leaks or with back pain that they never had addressed since they had kids. And I would wonder why. And these, then I'd be shocked because they'd say, Oh, I used to be a soccer player. I used to do gymnastics. Like these are women who are no longer athletic. They're quite sedentary. Their bodies completely shifted away from an athletic body or what their body used to look like. And I I never got it. I never understood why until I had kids. And then I realized this is why it's not just the symptoms. It's also the time management. Mm -hmm. It's that so much of your energy and life pours into these children, pours into your family. And it's not normalized in our society to care for yourself. Like there's talk about it. There's, Oh, make sure you take time for Mm self-care, but how is it actually happening? Is it actually happening in people's homes. Um, are men involved in making sure that women are getting time for their, for themselves in many homes, the man goes to work out of the house with the kids when they're young. Right. And is there time for the woman to relax during the day when she's taking care of children? We know that there isn't, it's just (laughs) full on busy all day. Yeah. And oftentimes society thinks that that is the easier part. But I actually think having done both gone back to work and been at home with the kids, I actually think the working part is far easier than being at home with kids all day. Because not only do you have physical work, you have mental and emotional labor that you're doing while you're caring for kids with zero breaks, no, no bathroom break, no lunch break. You're having to do it all with your kids around. And so I think that there needs to be a conversation between parents to really make space for maternal health, which means making sure that the mom has time to exercise, making sure she has time to go for walks or to see her friends, to do things for herself that she enjoyed doing before she had kids. And maybe her priorities have shifted, but we, we, we need to make sure that women are still doing things for themselves after they have children. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting. Um, I remember going through this. I've got uh, three boys now and realizing how fundamentally life had changed after the birth. And it's especially your first kid, everything changes. And then, uh, you know, you add more and it's, it's a lot, but it's not the same as from zero to one, at least in my experience. And yeah. Yeah. And 
for me, a lot of my well-being uh, and mental health is I need to get out for a run or a walk or something and be outside in nature daily. And I remember really holding on to that as uh, like, this is a non-negotiable for me because it allows me to show up in the way that I need to, to be the version of me that I want. I actually had um, somebody once uh, reflect and say, well, don't you think you're being a little bit of a bitch? And I remember like my initial, what? I know what? Well, and you know, so my initial reaction of course was to sort of like recoil at that statement Um, but then what I realized is that, you know, it wasn't a reflection of me. There was nothing disrespectful in the way that I was going about making that request. Um, and it was a reflection of, you know, people feeling like they've gone up and I use this analogy a lot, sort of this, you know, I went up the rusty old elevator, like you can do it too. You should have to as well. Like I survived, you could survive. And I think part of it is this, this, you know, this paradigm shift around the goal is not to survive. The goal is to thrive and it's not selfish to claim that time or that space for yourself. And it's such an act of service to your family, to yourself, to your children in setting a healthy example around meeting your needs. And that was a really big turning point for me to really start to claim that and to step into, you know, and you, were you able to do that even after your first child? Uh, yeah, it took some time. I was, you know, after my first child, for sure, I was, um, like, I was incredibly anxious all of the time. Like I was watching him breathe to make sure that he was breathing properly. Um, it took some time because I was recalibrating, like it wasn't easy, but one of the things I realized is that I needed, if I wanted to be well and not be so anxious all the time, it meant stuff and taking care of myself. And it was really, really hard. But the more I did it, the easier it became and the better it became. And I still feel guilt when I go for a run. And that's something that I'm working through because a lot of the time I leave and all my boys are like, mom, 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 or I want to come with you. Yeah. And so yeah. it does take a lot of inner self-talk and a lot of active um, like engagement to continue to show up for yourself like, no, this is space I need from me. And I think that sometimes it's helpful to just own that even people that are doing it seemingly well from the outside, it doesn't mean that it isn't hard and isn't an active, um, you know, process that they're building space for, because I still don't think society is structured in a way where we really support that from more than just like, as you said, we talk a lot about it, but then I notice in the practice, people aren't as accepting it's perceived as selfish or I don't even know what other adjectives, but, um, that was a big aha. Well, and it's almost like, it was almost like, oh, well, you're so lucky that your husband's understanding. I'm like, no, I'm not lucky. That should be the standard. Like my husband's not understanding they're co-parents. Like, you know, the fact that like men are still playing hockey leagues, they're still going out and doing like life is normal going to the gym, but women are not allowed to, or there's, they're perceived as like, you know, wow. Like, look at you taking time. Like, no, it should just be the standard. And I, I totally agree. I think a lot of the negative comments can come from older, I know, parents, relatives, people who have been through it and done it a different way. And it's almost like, because you're doing it a different way, they, they take it as a personal attack, but I'm like, you know what, it's nothing against you and your generation. That's just what was normal then, but things are changing. And we're, we're realizing that like patriarchal models of 
being are just, they're not serving women. They're not serving our kids because if you have boys, your boys need to see you see women respect their own time, their own energy. And if you have a girl, girls need to see that too, so that they don't grow up to then accept the same kind of behavior from men. Like they're just, you know, supposed to do all the cooking and cleaning and all the child rearing, and then just be happy because let's be honest, we love our children, but we have joys that are outside of being mothers. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's normal. That's healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, and like my greatest joy is not always my children. And they're, they're my like most loved beings, but I love doing other things too. I love talking to you on this podcast and, you know, being with my kids wouldn't fulfill me in the same way as doing some of the things that I enjoy doing. Um, and I think that as women like you and I talk about it more, I think it also opens doors. It doesn't give permission. Cause I hate using that word. Cause I think nobody needs their permission to do anything, but it just allows people to see that there are possibilities that they don't have to do things the same way that they saw their moms do or that they saw their relatives or their friends even do. Uh, and I think it also opens doors for men to step up into bigger roles as parents mm-hmm. um, because the joy that my husband gets and the, the relationship that he has with the kids, he wouldn't be able to have that if I am doing everything all the time for them. And so I think that that's, you know, it's, it's important. And, you know, when my friends are, I, I, I do encourage my friends always to kind of, I'm like, Oh, so what are you, are you going for a walk? Are you doing something for yourself? Because it's so easy to get carried away with the, like, I call it the pissing contest, right? Like how guys have their own. It's like the women, the women will be like, Oh, I made this cake for little Johnny's birthday, or I made this, these loot bags. And it's like so extravagant. It's like a competition of who's going to be more Pinterest worthy, but like, that's not me at all. I can't, I would, that's, I have no interest in that. And that's not, those aren't my values. And some people are like, but I truly enjoy cooking for my kids or making these things. And I'm like, great. If the enjoyment comes at a risk though, of you, your mental health of your own time for your needs, then that's when we need to talk about shifting priorities a little bit. But if you're able to do that while making time for yourself and while feeling balanced and while your mental health is in a, in a better spot, then great. Then go ahead and, you know, make those loot bags and those Pinterest worthy cupcakes or whatnot. Exactly. But we knew we do need to, it's like the. Um, airplane analogy, like put your own mask, oxygen mask first. I truly believe that if we're not serving ourselves first, we're actually doing a huge disservice to our children. And we're teaching them that you can ignore your own needs for somebody else. And I, I think about the long-term consequences of that for both boys, girls, whoever, whatever your, you know, kid's gender is, I think it's important so that they know that their needs are, their needs matter, that they're important um, and that they're valued. Yeah. And I think we're all walking around with these limiting beliefs around what that looks like. I know even for myself stepping into it and probably part of why I came up against that, you know, oh, you're being such a bitch. I can't believe your husband is okay with all of that comment, Mm -hmm. um, was around sort of our thoughts around somehow you're being selfish or greedy, or you're being bitchy by being the woman that asserts yourself. And you know, I, I bring that up because I think we 
we feel that in the background, but we don't acknowledge it. And in acknowledging it and bring it into the light, mm. we can actually dismantle it and look into it and say, actually, that's not what's happening. So that's not the narrative that I'm going to carry around, around what this thing is that I'm doing, because I'm going to go do it and I don't want to feel bad about it. And I, I love your point around, it's not, it's not about permission. And I think maybe a word that would work well is about empowering, because I still think we frame it as women you know, needing to find a way to make it work within the construct of our existing society and the paradigms that we live within. And it's about us making it work, which is a reality to some extent, you know, how do you fit it in Mm -hmm. all of those things, but it still puts all of the responsibility around how do we make our needs fit into the way things are structured versus expecting that that's something that should be the case and how are we all making it work? And I just want to invite that different way of looking at it. Um, it's not about how do you fit yourself into the tiny little recesses of the day or the corners where there's some space left, like left over as you're stepping into your worthiness yeah. and your self-care. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a real priority, not like, okay, you found 10 minutes at like 10 PM. Exactly. It's, it's like, okay, build it into your day. Like look at your schedule and be like, where is me time going to be? Because sometimes me time is stepping outside for fresh air. And sometimes it's having a cup of hot tea without, you know, interruptions and whatever it is, build those joy moments, build those self-care moments first around your kids' soccer schedules. And like, this is the other thing is we're so in our culture and our societies normalized to sign your kids up for a million activities. And like, what are you like really need like a million activities. And if you're like, you know what, this person loves dance and this person loves whatever music. Fantastic. But what do you love? Because you're still a person and you still belong in the family. Like you're still you're one of the most important people in the family and like build something like that in for yourself, whether it's a league or, uh, you know, and that's like the work that I do with my clients is virtual. So wherever they are in the world, usually a lot of my clients are North America, North America, or UK, just because of time zone differences, but you know, they're able to make time in, in their schedule for a one-on-one session or group session with me. And that's their time. And they feel like, wow, I'm getting my endorphins. Movement is one of my favorite ways for stress relief and me time, because it's, it, it hits all the, like all the benefits, you know, physical benefits, mental health benefits. It's, it's good for you in generally in many, in many ways and postpartum, we don't talk about this enough, but bone health decreases. Um, there's, there's so many other risks of not exercising after you have a baby. And so if specifically for those people who used to be active and they think, Oh, I have kids now, I guess this is my life. You know, I'm here to say it's, it doesn't have to be Yes, You can absolutely, whether you have three, I mean, you have three kids, four kids, one kid, whatever the number you have, there are ways to make it work. And it might be challenging at the beginning because it's different than what you're doing right now, but it's important that you do it for your own mental and physical health. Uh, I love what you said about getting outside for runs and walks too. Yeah. It's, you know, going, I remember, I still remember going out for my first walk postpartum after I had both kids, but by myself, yeah. I was giggling. I was like, so <laughs> thrilled. I was like, this is amazing. I was noticing the trees. Like I just, I wasn't staring at my baby in the stroller, making sure he was okay. Yeah. I could just be, you know, mm-hmm. and there are so many more anxieties that come with being a mother. I think with growing a baby 
and just being connected to them on a different level is you do worry more. And part of that, I think, you know, it's just innate, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we let our worry get ahead of us if we're always in it all the time. And, but taking that moment to step away kind of resets that you, you, you build confidence that like, oh yeah, your baby survived. They're just, they're doing just fine without you. And you start building trust that your baby's doing well, that you're doing well. Um, and I think it's important to start that as early as possible when your, your child is young. And of course we assume that that's with the privilege that you have a supportive partner, that you have a partner at all, or family members that are there to support you, which I know that isn't always the case, especially with people who are single parents, or maybe their partners are doing like long hours shift work. So they're kind of by themselves longer. So these are all things that, that obviously do play a role in maternal kind of health and well-being overall. Um, but so many people have access to that. They're just setting up their families in a way where they're not utilizing, you know, their partner support. And I think we're one of the only cultures in the world that doesn't, you know, access the village, you know, it takes the village. We say that all the time, but then we do it ourselves and then we're run down and we wonder why. And that's been, you know, that's been a growth thing for me as somebody who's grown up in a North American culture and has even valued independence realizing how it's been a disservice in many ways. And there's nothing wrong to say, I need help. Can you please help with this? It doesn't take away from you. It doesn't take away from your relationship with your child or that connection. It's okay to want and need and structure help around you. Um, yes. I think we were ever that. meant to do this by ourselves and everybody, the baby, the mom, the husband, everyone. Benefits. I think that's That's such an important point because you physically cannot do it all alone. And I think that people feel guilty or shameful when they ask for help, but like everyone needs help. It's not just you. I know it feels like you're all alone, that you're the only one failing, that you're only the only one who's struggling, but literally every single mom, it feels the same way. Everyone wishes they had someone to clean their house, that they had someone to cook the meals, that they (laughs) could step away for a bit, do the laundry. Like nobody enjoys doing all that all the time. And okay, maybe there's like one person, but like most people don't. And for even for people who are like stay at home parents, like that stuff is hard work and it's monotonous and it's just draining. So getting help, getting people together, having somebody else cook a meal for you. Like that was the big difference. You know, we talk about maturing as, you know, when I had a child, you and my, I'm mature. Like I, I, of course, like an up child, but it forces you to grow up in a way you didn't even know you needed to. And that's what I felt when I had Nisha, my, my daughter is I just didn't even realize how childish I was in so many ways. Like I was refusing help from my mom who lives in the same building as we live in a condo. They live in the same building. She was offering to cook. And I was like, no, no, like I'm doing it all. You know, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense to me that I was doing that. But I was so, again, I was embracing that North American independence. I can do this. And Mm -hmm. I, I felt like her offering to help was telling me that I wasn't doing a good job. I was taking it personally even though she wasn't actually intending that, but you know, when you're in that frame of mind, you take things personally, when you're exhausted, you're sleep deprived, it's natural for you to feel like everything is personal, Mm -hmm. but take a moment, take a step back and realize that people are are there to help you. Your friends, relatives, people want you to do well. Nobody wants to see you suffer. So if people are offering help, say, yes, take it. I say 
yes to every meal my mom cooks now. Like she <laughs> helped, like it was so much easier with our second child because she literally made his lunch every day, Monday uh-huh. to Friday. Like it, it's the game changer. So I was actually eating meals instead of like a smoothie or like, you know, a few crackers here and there <laughs> when I had a had time because we know that when we're not eating regularly, we're again, drained or healing is limited. So all of those like ways we care for our child, making sure they're eating, sleeping, pooping, snuggled. Like we need to do that for ourselves too. And if we can have someone care for us, our partners, our parents, our friends, then we can do a better job caring for our baby. And that's kind of what I felt like is a big mindset shift is you don't realize how much you need to be mothered as a mother. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew that during pregnancy, during pregnancy, I was super prepped for birth. I did all the pelvic physiotherapy. I did all the perineal massage. I was like, I've got this. I did all the mindset work. My birth was great. But then I was like, oh, I literally know nothing else now. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's, I had no idea. Yeah. Well, that's what uh, I've noticed that in pregnancy, there is all this attention around birthing and leading up to birthing. And then there's nothing, there's no support, there's no education. And when you're pregnant, especially the first time, that's all you can really think about is the birthing. And then as you say, the baby comes, you're like, whoa, like, you know, simple things like the umbilical cord and when does that fall off? And is it going to be, yes. yeah. you know, like there's a thousand things, the color of the poop, how far it like is projectile. <laughs> yeah. What, what to, what to, yeah. What's normal spit up and what's like not because with my first too. And I also think it depends on the baby you have, because if I had my second child first, I think things would have been easier, (laughs) but that's not how it happened. And so like everything was just a struggle. Like breastfeeding was a struggle, like putting her, we could never put her down because she had terrible reflex. And I didn't know it was reflex because I just thought, oh, baby spit up. So this is normal. But once you see what normal spit up is like, you're like, oh, that was projectile. And I, yeah, that was like reflux or whatever she had. And so you, everything is learned in hindsight. And we, I think part of it is my mom was, we were talking, I was talking to to this with my mom is, you know, she's like back in India, like she had people to help her all the time. She didn't feel a huge amount of stress in postpartum because she was taken care of. And there was no like, Oh, is this normal? Because somebody who's helping you has done it. They've raised kids and there's tons of people, cousins, sisters, you know, friends who've had kids. And so there's more community. Whereas here people move away from their parents' homes. People move to cities, provinces, countries, everyone wants that independence and their lives for themselves, which is fantastic. But then you also lose that, you know, sisterhood of like information that is just passed on the wisdom that's passed on. And Sometimes depending on your relationship with your own mother, it can be hard to trust your mother. I think many, many girls don't trust their moms because they think like, oh, you know, I don't know. (laughs) There's like a relationship of like, oh, you're always telling me what to do. Or like, uh, I know better than you. There's this, there's this kind of ego, right? But when we take a step back, it's like, yes, even though my mom parented it in a very different way than I want, want to, like, she knows all the basics. And sometimes we just need to trust that even though they were mothers 30 years ago, that they still know innately how to care for a child. Oh, um, that is, you know what I just, as you were saying that I had a bit of an aha, um, two pieces. One I think is, you know, 
almost inner child work in terms of we're spending all this energy nurturing a baby, but somehow we neglect ourselves. And as a mother, would we ever be comfortable um, treating our baby the way that we're treating ourselves or our child? But, and so I think that's a mind, mm-hmm. mindset shift. But the other piece for me, just thinking about this notion of, of aging and society and how we value people in all stages of life. And I, I do think there is a big shift where there is, you know, a different parent, parenting paradigm that's happening right now around, you know, how we choose to, to raise children, a lot of people. And I mean, it's very varied, but I do see that broad sentiment that you're referring to. And I think about, you know, I'm going to be in that space, you know, sooner than I'd like. And yep. how, yep. how do I want to be acknowledged and respected as an, you know, somebody who does have something to offer? And I think it's, you know, it comes in the relationship and it's, it's, it's not all or nothing because as the parent, you get to set those boundaries around yes. what is or is not helpful. And because sometimes it can be overwhelming, yeah. I know some mothers or parents that are just too much, but that doesn't mean that they don't have, it, it doesn't mean they have nothing to offer. So how do you find that healthy boundary to accept help, but also say, this is where I need it. And this is where I don't. Because I think it's like, it becomes this all or nothing. Yes. There's something in between. There is. And I love that you brought, brought up boundaries because that was the thing. My parents live in the same building. So it's very easy to have zero boundaries. Yeah. But for me, boundaries are essential. I'm an introvert. Like I love people, but I also like my own space and my own time and my own, my, myself. Like I like yeah. just quiet. And so having people around me, was very stimulating, especially on top of a baby that was crying and very loud. And so I learned for my second exactly what I needed from, I was like, help with food is the biggest thing. Watch my older daughter while we care for a baby. So on weekends, my daughter would sleep over sometimes at my parents. Like I was very clear because I knew I had the experience. But when you're a first time mom, you don't even know what you might want help with. So I usually say, write down a grocery list and have someone else pick it up for you. I mean, now with COVID, there's a huge increase of online ordering and all that stuff, which makes life easier. But even things like if every Friday you're going to be exhausted, have a friend order dinner for you, or, you know, you can pay them or like, just have it planned during pregnancy. So for the first six to eight weeks, postpartum, especially you're not thinking about what to eat. You're not thinking about any of that stuff. It's just done for you. If you need help with physical work, like laundry and that kind of thing, like how can a friend come over and help you with that stuff? You can hang out together, fold together, just even having the around to talk to as an adult mentally can be huge. And so we are responsible for setting boundaries, but sometimes we just don't even know what we don't know until it happens. So I think we do need to give ourselves grace that we can't figure out motherhood in like six months or even three months. Yeah. I have, I have, I have clients who are like, Oh my God, like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, and I'm like, of course you don't, you've had a baby like 10 weeks ago. You're not going to know for a long time, like where you were established, establishing yourself as a mother. Like you, you don't know your role until it's been a while. And I think it's constantly evolving too. Mm. Um, it's just, it's just so hard because I think that there's this unrealistic expectation that we should know how to raise a child perfectly. And we, the reality is we're all just winging it. We're all figuring it out. Each child is so different. Oh yeah. And we, we're all just learning. And I think like acknowledging that it is hard work 
and that we should be proud of ourselves. If our child is like fed and happy and safe, you know, if sure, they might not have gotten that perfect birthday present, or they might be disappointed. You didn't that little, whatever their friend got elaborate birthday cake for their classmates and you didn't give them anything, but like, it's not our jobs to, this is the other perspective that I have because I'm a child of, I'm an immigrant and I've, I've come from a different country. I see here that there's so much stuff, materialism and so much extra to keep a child happy. But like as parents, our job is not to keep our child's children happy all the time. It's to be there for them, no matter what emotions they have. And so we as mothers take on so much extra, like, oh, my child had a bad day. Like it's my fault, but it's not. Sometimes they just have bad days and you're just there for them to support them through it, to, you know, just to be there. And I think huge, we fill up our kids' lives with toys and stuff as if that's what's going to make them happy. And it may temporarily because now they can go brag to their classmates, but there's always going to be something in life that they're going to be either made fun of, or they're not going to have enough of, they're going to be slower or, you know, not as smart as the other kid. And so we can't try to make their environment so perfect and like design ourselves for failure. That's what is, that's what that's doing, right? It's setting ourselves up to fail when we're expecting ourselves to be perfect parents for our kids and make perfect little environments for our kids. And that was a huge realization that I had is like bringing my perspective growing up in a community where it's more, or a country where it's more community oriented versus like independence and me oriented was actually really helpful for me because I saw, I saw the parents here struggling with that. And for me, I was like, eh, that's, that's not a struggle for me. Like, that's just Mm -hmm. because I have a different perspective and I would love to see more people here kind of embrace that because I think it's for their own mental health um, and happiness. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You're speaking to, to my heart and my soul here. And I've done a lot of, um, reflection on how best to support the kids as they get older and they, you know, have more challenges. And what I've ultimately decided is that challenge is not a bad thing. It's creating skills and that inner strength and that inner, um, knowing that they have what it takes, like, that they can work through hard things and that they'll mm-hmm. be okay. Like, that's what I care more about because life is going to continue. Like if we know anything about life, life is always going to throw challenges our way. So trying to avoid always. it bubble is not a realistic strategy. And if I can support my kids to feel empowered, to navigate something versus taking over, and even just from an emotional mm-hmm. perspective, I can see their pain. I can empathize with it, but I don't want to be in it with them because how am I supporting them if I'm taking it on as my own? Because then there's two of us in it. And the reality is I'm also demonstrating to them huge and overwhelming and oh my gosh, it's worth getting so concerned about. But when you start to sort of unpack and like take away some of that, um, I don't know, just that build up around how big these things are and be like, yeah, that's life. And you've got this and let's talk through it. And even if you, even if it's really hard and even if, you know, as long as they're safe and you know, they've, they're provided, yes. this build, I, you know, I kind of have embraced that challenge is going to be there and we're okay with that as a family. And I'm watching my skill, my kids build these skills of resilience and I think if anything, that will support them more in life by allowing them to experience their own hardships 
and work through them than try to protect them. And that's hard as a parent. Like I have to actually work on that. It is hard. It's incredibly hard, but I think it's so important that you're doing that. It's so, so important. And they, that's the thing is kids aren't going to be like, oh my God, thank you, mom, for like letting me figure that out. They like, they, it's a long-term yeah. like <laughs> return, right? It's like a long-term investment. Like you're, we don't get the immediate like uh, feedback. And I think that's the other thing is parent, like you don't, I never realized that until I became a mom that there was no like immediate reward. Like, yes, I love when my kids smile at me or give me a hugs and stuff, but there's no like gratitude for like, you know what I mean? There's no like, Oh my gosh, you're the best mom because you really helped me become resilient in this experience. Like we, we know that as parents, but we're, we're trying to, yeah, exactly. I think it's, it builds resilience for them in a way that solving their problems just doesn't. And I think that as people who are very caring and we want to solve, I innately want to fix things for them because I want them to be happy. But by doing that all the time, I know that in the long run, they're not going to be happy. So I think that those are, these are important things to understand, even from my work with people as, you know, I help them return back to exercise because understanding a person's experience is important to me because you can't help somebody if you just understand a part of their part of their lives. And, you know, we, we started talking about my name. It's like, if I haven't gotten someone's name down and I don't understand their story, designing a workout program for them, designing or giving them strategies just doesn't work because I haven't seen what their lives are actually like. Mm-hmm. So part of what I, what I do is just get to know the person and like, what is their goal? How do they feasibly see them achieving this goal? What would they like? What would be ideal for them? What are they struggling with? Versus like, if you go to see a traditional physio, you're like, all right, where's your pain? Let's move this joint, see exactly how, you know, let's measure. Like that's the easy stuff. Understanding people is, it takes time and it takes effort. And I think that that's where, that's my passion, right? Is I, I use movement as a tool yes. to help people feel better and help people um, live active lives and you know decrease stress and take time for themselves. But I think a lot of the work that I do is coaching through some of these mindset blocks and some of these behavioral changes that need to occur to make exercise for them sustainable. Because it's not about like, okay, running that 5k next month. I want this to be sustainable so that for the rest of their lives, they can be as active as they want to be. So that long-term that they're building these habits. Um, and, you know, I, I love how you talked about the all or nothing mentality with, um, you know, setting boundaries and with including family, because that all or nothing mentality is the same for exercises. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't have time for my 45 walk, so I'm not going to do it. But literally going outside for two minutes may not seem like much, but it's something it's building that habit and building that consistency. And the more often we do things like that throughout the day, throughout the week, the better our bodies actually feel. Mm -hmm. And so I think most people aren't, they come into the mindset with like what they imagine exercise to look like, what they imagine themselves to look like when they're fit. And it's understanding that you may look different. You may not ever have flat abs again, but you don't, that's okay. You can still be an athlete. You can still be attractive. You can still be all of those other things. It's just society has misled you to think that if you don't look like a 15 year old girl, you know, 
you're not like worthy. Right. But like, come on, who's going to look like that again? Like you can't re- Asian reverse. Like <laughs> we can put all the, we can put all the creams and get all the plastic surgery and whatnot, but like our bodies are still aging. And now I see aging as really a truly beautiful thing. Like when you, when you see people live till they're old and they're great and they're like led happy lives. I think that's, that's beautiful. Like wrinkles, gray hair. Yeah, sure. It's not as attractive quote unquote right now, but it's still something that I think we should be proud of is if we're able to age, cause not everybody can, you know, some people are not as fortunate. So let's embrace or not even embrace. Let's accept how we are now. We don't have to embrace it. We can start to accept that this is our reality. And so, you know, many of my clients are like, I'm here to get strong, feel better, not have pain, not leak. But like some of them have a secondary goal of losing weight. And I'm straight up. I'm like, I'm not a weight loss coach. I'm not a nutrition coach. Like if you weight loss is largely genetic and also nutrition and stress and everything else, but exercise is a small component. So exercise, you're not going to shrink your, you know, waistline just by doing crunches. That's just anyone who sells you that is just lying uh, or, or preying on your insecurities. Right. And like, I think there's a lot of shame with people that are like, Oh, I didn't work out enough, I guess. And I'm like, no, you worked out enough. You're just expecting your body to magically change shape. And it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. And that's okay. You know, how, how are we going to be, how are we going to learn to be at peace with our bodies and even stop thinking about our bodies as a, like physical, just how we look and more think about them from a holistic perspective is how are you feeling right now? Not just how are you looking? Well, and I think most of us, you know, if you're, if your concern is around beauty or external factors, it's probably because you're, you're not connected with yourself and your body, Mm. because when we really are taking care of ourselves and we're moving and we are seeing how our body shows up for us and for our children and how it can do certain things, or it, you know, gives life and you start connecting to all of that, it's hard not to feel beautiful and to appreciate this gift of this body that does so much for you. And it, to me, it's always a sign of disconnection with self. And I love how you is so holistic because we just need to clone you and put you everywhere because this is what women need postpartum. <laughs> they do and in life generally, but like with the focus on postpartum, because it's even this, like, it's a sense of worthiness deep down when you're not feeling attractive or you're not mm-hmm. feeling any of these things and the stuff that you do on the surface, which is habit forming. Well, that's sending a message. That's you choosing to show up for yourself every day. That's you demonstrating your own worthiness. So it is so much deeper than like you say, the clinical assessment of, you know, this is how strong your pelvic floor is. And this is how much prolapse. And this is how many fingers there are in terms of your ab separation. Like those are just things, but it's that's right. That's exactly it. Yeah. Oh my God. You have an inspired. That's that's exactly why my virtual, my online work works so well, because it's not about just me touching their abs and saying, oh yeah, you're weak. Like I, I can coach anyone through a self check for diastasis, no problem. Yeah. And I don't need to put my fingers up someone's vagina to say, oh yes, you have prolapse or like, this is a great, because I listen to people and what they're telling me that's more important to me than like 
what I'm, it's a very, again, our medical system is very patriarchal. Like I say this and you do that. Right. And we need to change that. I think as there's more women leading, leading, there's more women who run their own businesses and are entrepreneurs. We're seeing that shift because that's not the right way for everybody. And that's not the right way for women. Like for postpartum women, they don't need to be poked and prodded and tell told how everything is wrong with them. They already innately know that they already they already know they feel a bulge in their pelvic floor. They already know that their back hurts or their, you know, abs look different. Do we really need to be putting labels on, oh, you have an eight centimeter diastasis. Oh, you have this because that gets into their head. And then they're sitting on Google and they're reading all the like negative stories around that. And it freaks them out. And instead I really start with function. I start with movement. I start with their goals. And like, I want them to start feeling strong because they are strong. Because if you've birthed a baby in regardless of what way you did, regardless of how much you tore, what the circumstances around are, if you adopted whatever way you have come to have this child, you are strong. Like you're already strong. Yes. You're healing in the six weeks postpartum in the first year postpartum, but you're still stronger than you think. And I think we've painted women to be these like fragile flowers that are like going to break if, you know, if they lift more than five pounds, but like, we know how it is with kids. You're already carrying them every day. You're, you're throwing your toddler on your back. You're going for hikes. Like we, as women need to get strong and we need to allow ourselves to think of us as athletes, think of ourselves as strong, um, and not broken. And I I think that's, that's a message that I want everyone to know is yes, you may have symptoms, but you are not broken. And when you stop seeing your body is broken and you start seeing it as strong and capable, your brain does magical things. Your body does magical things because we're communicating with ourselves all the time based on our thoughts. And let's start communicating to ourselves that we're worthy and that we're capable and then that we're, we're doing the thing. And I love what you said about, you know, you building those habits is proving to yourself that you're worthy. You yeah. doing things for even even right now, if you're listening to this, you pause, take, take note of how you're breathing. And I just noticed my ears, my shoulders were up by my ears. So I let that go. I'm not judging. I'm just noticing I'm taking a moment to draw attention back to my body. And my brain knows that my brain's like, okay, you still, you're still taking care of me. You know, it's the example of like when your kid's a little bit older and they're like, going to play in the park by themselves. And they turn around to look if you're still watching and you are, and then they're, they feel comfortable. So they go a little further. That's what we want to do to our bodies. We want to want, we wanted to know that we're still there. We're still watching. We're still, we're still there. Um, and it doesn't have to be magic, magical, huge one hour a day activities that kind of show you, it can be moments throughout the day. Yeah, totally. Oh, this is so good. Do you have an example, like of an inspiring story where, you know, a woman might be able to see herself in somebody else's story where someone started and, you know, with challenges and has worked through with you and their process and is doing better, um, than when they arrived. Oh, so many, I will tell you, I have a client who is a mom of three and she was a previous athlete, very, very active before kids and then had three children in what, like five years or so. And, you know, it takes a toll on the body and didn't really rehab properly each time because she was relatively active. So she kind of didn't bounce back in her appearance necessarily, but physically she was like, yep, I can go for runs. But after her third, it took a lot longer. 
And two years postpartum, she had persisting pain. And she had just said, I guess this is life. This is how it's going to be. You know, that's okay. I guess I'm not going to be running or playing soccer or doing some, some of these things with my kids because it just hurts too badly. And, um, then she was like, wait a second, I can see Serbi virtually. And cause she doesn't live near me. And so she booked a virtual consult and within even the first session, just, you could see her stress ease when she started to understand what was going on, when she started to realize this is not a permanent issue because very few things are permanent issues. Very few things, you know, it's most things can change. Most, most things can improve and many things can resolve. And so she started to see that she could do the same movements that were triggering her pain, but I gave her a different strategy and she was like, Oh, this doesn't hurt. It's still hard, but it doesn't hurt. And so that was her first time in two years where she's felt progress. And she'd already seen a local pelvic physiotherapist. And so she had thought I've done physio. I'm good. like, what else could I learn? But it all depends on who you're seeing too. And I don't like to knock down my profession or any profession, but no matter what you're doing in life, there's good ones and bad ones. Yeah. And there, sometimes it's not even about a bad physio. It's the bad fit for you yeah. based on what you need at the time. And so you need to find someone who has a good fit for you, open lines of communication and isn't promising you things that you, that aren't going to happen. Like I'm not, I'm not saying, Hey, come see me and I will make you 100% pain-free in a session because that's not realistic. And it's a conversation about, let's see what's going on. Okay. Let's see if you can do this without pain. Another lady has been leaking. She's a mom. She's got nine and 11 year olds. So older kids. And she lives in California. I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And She's been following me on Instagram for a while. She knows that I post about leaking and she was like, I've been, I see, so I've seen a pelvic physio. I've seen somebody, a trainer locally have spent thousands of dollars. I don't trust physio anymore. Like I, she misled me. It's not going to work. And I said, that's totally fine. Like when you decide that you want help, I know I can help you within the first session, her pain or not her pain. She didn't have pain. She had leaks. She had leaking with skipping rope. Her leaks are gone. It's if you know somebody, if somebody knows what they're doing, these issues aren't going to linger forever. Strength training takes a minimum of 12 weeks, but most people don't need to be living with pain and leaks while they're strength training. So, wow. so many, so many people. I, I love, I love also working with people who've like tried other physio and has failed because I know that they're invested in their health. Um, and that I know I can wow them because of my experience in my knowledge of my training. I love that. It's so life-changing though. And I think that it gives people so much hope because if you're a woman that's been living with leaking, your life has been, you know, scaled down because of fear of movement and so many other things that would sit with you all day, every day as you deal with that. So to go from, you know, this is my life and I'm trying to find acceptance with it to there is hope there could be a different way is massive and literally life-changing for people. I just think it's so empowering and just, um, yeah, brilliant. And the problem is people don't know because we aren't told to expect these things. They happen. You think it's just happening to you and there's something wrong with you. And there just isn't enough emphasis and other, I think in France, um, this is part of postpartum care. It's just built in and I don't know how well it is, It is, but at least yeah. Acknowledged. 
Well, and that's the thing is like, I think there's a balance too, is I don't, I don't force everybody to go see a pelvic health physiotherapist. I don't think that's the right way either, because we need to give people agency and their own choice is what do they want and what do they need? And I want them to know that there are options for them. And that's like, I have a podcast and it's called mom strength. And that's my whole point is I want people to know how many different professions, how many different types of people there are to support them because then they see themselves in these stories and they're like, Oh, I had no idea. I could even get help for this. Most of the people I talked to about leaking don't have an, I don't know that they can be, there can be help. They think they have to do a million Kegels a day or buy some machine to shove up there. Like that's not, that's not usually the case, or they think they need surgery. And I'm like, how have we gone from like, why we don't need surgery for everything, first of all. But if you go see a surgeon, they're going to say, yeah, you probably need surgery because that's their area of expertise. So I want people to know that there are so many other ways to do things and you need to find what works best for you. If you're someone who's kind of like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how I'm going to fit this in. I, that's exactly what I show people's I want to know more about your life. And I want to know where you can imagine yourself fitting in these exercises, because in, especially in that first year postpartum, it's really challenging to get 45 minutes away, 30 minutes away from your kids every day. Some families can make it work, but not always. And so, but in, in that first year, you don't deserve to just be burnt out and exhausted and do nothing for yourself. So how can we build in these moments of movement, strength training, conditioning during your day during your long walks, during your child's, you know, first wake time during your nap time. And so these are the things that I love showing people who are earlier postpartum, but unfortunately many people don't come see me till their kids are older because they just don't even know about me until then. Uh, and that's okay too. You'll progress really quickly when you're not in the early postpartum phase, cause you're usually sleeping better. Um, and that has a huge impact on our healing too. Totally. So So this is a question that I like to ask everybody. And I think you've already demonstrated a lot of it just through what you've shared personally, but what does living intentionally mean to you and how have you cultivated that in your life? I love that question. So living with intention is something that I don't think I actively thought about until fairly recently. Mm -hmm. And where it really came into play is when I started my business is I realized how much I love doing things. I kind of get obsessed with what I'm doing. Like I just love it so much. And I'm like, this is awesome. But then I need to actually take a step back and be like, what is my intention? How do I want my life to look? Mm -hmm. Is this the path? Is this the road that I, you know, going is, is that the road I want to be on? Um, because the point of me starting my business is to of course, empower and support people. But I also want a life where I'm not working 45 hours a week for somebody else, you know, working day in and day out with zero appreciation and burning out because working one-on-one with clients can be very draining. And so I intentionally plan my day where I'm not booked back to back. I see a set amount of clients, you know, certain days a week. I'm not seeing them every single day. I know for myself, I like the variety. So that's why I like doing things like podcasts. I like doing things like group coaching because I find community really important to me. And that's just in my work Mm -hmm. and my personal life, you know, intentionally building in moments for rest, for play with my kids, for time with my partner, all of these things I want to say is not perfect. It's a work in progress and it's Mm -hmm. constantly evolving, but I'm really intentionally basing my life and my schedule and my behaviors, I guess my actions based on my values and my, and my 
um, desires. Like I think we, if we don't sit down and know what our values are, it's really difficult to set boundaries and prioritize because then everything that faces that gets thrown in our face becomes urgent or important. And now I just go back to like, okay, what are my priorities? What are my values? And I've used that same in business when I've had people reach out to me wanting to collaborate on things. And I'm like, "Mm, they're pushing a weight loss. They're pushing their, uh, you know, preying on women's insecurities with their body image. Like I don't that align with those values. So I'm not going to collaborate with this person. Old me might've said, oh my gosh, it's an opportunity. I must say yes to everything. But now I'm really decidedly being intentional about my choices. And I think that it comes with and maturity as well. And knowing, going back to knowing who you are, because I think when we ignore who we are and who we are deep down, we, we start to make choices that aren't aligned with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. What an amazing role model. Um, yeah, I, I, I love everything that you've just said, and it is very much how I try to live my life as well. I couldn't agree with, um, what you said and, you know, your story is similar to mine different, different contexts, but similar themes. And it's, um, it's amazing when you step into a different way of living, that's more aligned with who you are and what your values are, how life just becomes so much more clear and purposeful and beautiful, but it's scary because it's very different than what we're brought up to believe things should look like even these beliefs, like you need to work harder to do well or to earn more. And it's a lot of work to get there. And I just think, thank you for sharing because you are such a brilliant, brilliant role model for what this can look like and how somebody can be truly successful living in their purpose, finding balance, following their values. And it is going to help other women do the same thing just by you showing up and being you in the truest sense. So thank you for that. Um, Thank you for summarizing that very beautifully. I feel like you're very (laughs) eloquent with your words and purpose is the word. I love that. I I was trying to think about the word to use, but purpose, that's exactly it. Um, And I want people to know that it's not easy. It's not just like a decision you come to overnight. It takes time and it's taken years. And I'm a very introspective person. I always have been. I think some people are so disconnected with what they even want that it's, it takes more work. You know, speaking to a therapist is huge too. I think we underscore how much mental health support is not just for people who are like struggling about it for people who are like having major episodes of depression or anxiety or bipolar, it should be for everyone. And I think we need to remove that stigma and or accept the support. If you have access to mental health support, speaking to a therapist for me after having kids has been huge inner child work with my therapist is again so healing. And I think that many of us walk around with unhealed, you know, traumas, experiences, emotions from when you were kids or growing up. And it's very challenging as adults to show up as our best selves when we are, um, walking around with those, with that baggage. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, totally. So what are two books? I always like to ask people like one or two books that you'd recommend that have been, you know, they've stuck with you that are inspiring or life-changing, or you just really loved. 
I love books, but right now I have like a million books I bought that I haven't read actually. Um, (laughs) I'm currently rereading burnout, which I really like because I think it lays it out really well. Um, do you know, come as you are by, uh, Amelia Nagoski and Emily Nagoski and Amelia, I think. No, I don't know that one. Um, it's about sexual health and it's, it's really beautiful book. And then they also, one of the sisters also wrote, um, burnout, which is another great book. And it's, I'm trying to think of another really, really good book that I love. I don't know. I I like self-helpy type books or like things that books that make you think I'm not so much of a fiction reader. I used to be, but like, I think where I am now, I really like the like mindset and that type of learning. There's actually an old book called psycho cybernetics. And for anybody who's dealing with like body image issues, it's really interesting because it was written by a plastic surgeon who would do these surgeries on people. And some people would like have their nose fixed or whatever and feel so different. They'd like come out new humans. And then other people would have it fixed and be the same, same insecurities. And it talks about how, how closely tied that piece of your body is like how, basically how in you internalize that can make a big difference. So even if you lose all the weight or look a certain way, you may still feel the same way you did before. And mm-hmm. it was a really eye-opening book for me because I, I've, I've always been thin. So I was never like, you know, made bu- bullied for being overweight. And I know that that fat shaming is a lot worse, but I was made fun of for being too thin. So in some ways I always wanted to gain weight. I always wanted to be bigger. Cause that was I don't know if that's what I wanted. And I was sick of being called anorexic or too thin or whatnot. And it made me realize that it's not really about gaining the weight. It's about my perception and my own body image. And it doesn't matter what you look like. If you are confident in who you are, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So it's uh, for anyone dealing with like any body image issues. I think it's really, really kind of a complex wording book makes you have to kind of read it slowly. You can't read it in one go, but it's a, it's a good one. So psycho cybernetics by max something or the other. Okay. I'll find it. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. And if people want to work with you and I'm guessing that everyone is going to want to work with you after they hear that, <laughs> what are the best ways to get a hold of you or follow you? Um, I'm on Instagram at the passionate physio and the best way to work with me, I have on my Instagram page. Uh, if you like click on the link in bio, you can book a free 15 minute discovery call. We can chat about ways that can support you. You can book, uh, an online consult. Um, if you're in Ontario or across the world, you know, if you're within Ontario, it's physiotherapy. If you're across the world, it would fall under coaching, fitness coaching. Um, I also have a website, which is www.thepassionatephysio.ca. Um, the best way to make sure that I respond to you is sending me an email. And my email address is sodabi at thepassionatephysio.ca, which is, again, you'll see it on my website and stuff. Sending me a DM on Instagram is fantastic too, but sometimes it can get lost or it can take me a while to respond. I still respond to every single person, but sometimes it takes a while. So, um, <laughs> and that's life. Oh my God. That's life. Thank you so, so much, Surabi. I'm going to get that. I'm going to keep practicing um, for being here today and taking the time and sharing your passion, your knowledge, and just so much more. I personally got so much from this. So uh, I really, really appreciated the opportunity to connect and reconnect after all these years. And um, thank you. And to our listeners, 
Uh, thank you. Do reach out to Sarabi. See there, I did it again. Sarabi, and ensure that you're following her on Instagram. She is brilliant. I watch all of her reels and personally get something. Even if that's all that you do, you will take something away just by connecting with her there. I want to thank everybody for taking their one of their most valuable commodities, their time, and joining us here today. As always, we hope. I wanted to say thank you so much for having me on. This conversation was amazing. And I love too that it has been so many years since we've connected, but it feels like it has not been that long at all. Um, and thank you to all of your listeners for listening to this conversation. I look forward to connecting with you. Yes, thank you. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna shine this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine